Um, So Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made it carry carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Thank you, Charlotte, uh, for reading uh, for us. Uh, Let me add uh, my welcome as well uh, to Rachel's. And as we come to look at these words, if you're able, keep keep a Bible open in front of you. Let me me lead us in a prayer. Allah God, we do pray and ask for your help on this day. Uh, It seems good to us. Uh, that we would have the Lord Jesus before our eyes and that we'd see and understand who he is uh, clearly. So please would you help us with that as we look at your word and we ask it uh, in his name. Amen. Let me just adjust that. Uh, We live in a world uh, where there's lots that feels upside down. 
You see that, don't you, in the world that's uh, out there. Uh, you have people invading countries saying the reason they're doing it is to bring peace. Seems upside down. You see people fleeing war and anguished parents. Did you see this? Writing the names and addresses on the backs of their children so that if they get separated and lost, maybe there's a chance that they could be reunited. You seen those kind of things? You see that in the world out there, but you, you feel it in the world around here too, don't you? Some local tragedy. And everything is turned upside down. And you ask the question, I, I wonder if there's a way for things to be turned the right way up again or what that would even look like. Can we ever get it? And then into our world, Good Friday comes crashing and it shows us a man tortured to death on a cross. And it says to you, do you see him? That one. Because that is God and he has come to die for you and it is the biggest invasion in the history of the world. And from the moment it happened, it's been turning things upside down. You begin to see even in our reading that Charlotte's just read for us. Did you notice as you go through it that the happy are told to be sad? The hopeless are, are given hope. Light becomes dark. A, a locked door, in a sense, is torn open, and it's all around Jesus. It, it's hard to imagine because he's the one in danger in this story. He's the one who's suffering. He's the one with a guilty verdict. But as you look at him, even those things he seems to turn upside down. You hear what he says, because he says on, on that day, he was thinking about our danger and not his. If you just knock on to the next slide, if that's, thank you. Uh, on Good Friday, he's thinking about our danger, not his. Uh, did you notice that? As, as we read through it, he passes some women who are weeping for him, and he tells them, verse 28, don't, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. It's such an upside-down thing to say, isn't it? But he presses at home, verse 29, when he says, look, the time will come when you will say, blessed are the ones who've never had any children, who've, who've never given birth, who've never fed a baby. And you begin to hear that, and you understand what Jesus is saying. This is, this is Jesus saying to people, look, I know your future. So I look at brand-new mums. Just imagine this. I look at brand-new mums. I look at... I look at del delighted grandparents and I say, I am so, so sorry for you. I'm so, so sorry for you. And I look at the single person who would love a family and I say, your singleness is the one relief I feel for you. I mean, that's upside down, isn't it? That's an upside down thing to say that walking to the cross on Good Friday, Jesus says, my danger is nothing compared with yours. And the reason he gives, well, it's pretty cryptic. It's there in verse 30, if you've got it there in front of you. It might be on the screen. He says it like this. If people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And the sense of it is something like this. He's the green tree. We're all the dry sticks. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to set fire to kind of 
uh, green branches that are moist, they don't burn very well. Put a match to dry sticks. Watch them go. They go up in a flash. And Jesus is saying, look, if God allows, if God is allowing this to happen to me today, and I have done nothing but good, what do you think is coming your way? And to understand that, in a sense, we, we've got to, whenever you come across stuff like this in the Bible, you've got to keep, you've got to keep stepping in to the way the Bible tells us to think. And it says, you and me, we, we live in a world that's made by a good God. He's moral, he cares about wrong. Everything from politicians who bend the rules to suit themselves all the way through to those who embark on reckless invasions. But he is consistently moral. So you can't just spot those at the top and turn a blind eye to the rest of us who are are lower down. No, he notices. He notices immoral men, aggressive women, selfish teenagers, and he's promised to deal with it all, with everything that, that spoils life. And that's, that's what the Bible has in view. So in verse 30, when Jesus quotes an, an Old Testament passage, where God's promised judgment comes, and he, he pictures on that day, people are pictured desperately, desperately trying to find a place to hide. Calling for mountains to cover them if that were possible. This is saying even if corrupt politicians manage to to weather the most recent political storms, even if warmongers seem to gain victory, this day will find them. And that's good to know. It's good to know this day says to us, it's good to know that God cares like this, but it also means this day, that coming day will find you and me as well. We've done things that put us on the wrong side of God and there will be nowhere to hide for you or for me facing God's justice like dry sticks in a fire. So on Good Friday, you might look at Jesus and think of his danger. He turns that upside down and says, yours, yours and mine is much, much worse. But it's not all he's thinking about. He's thinking about our danger, not his, but he's also thinking about our comfort, and not his own. I mean, the pain would be unimaginable. Our, our writer, Luke here, assumes we kind of know about it, but hanging from nails, struggling for, for breath, what you would do is you'd, you would push yourself up on the nails through your feet so you can gasp for air, and when the pain is too much on that, you drop back down. You drop back down and just hang from your hands and you repeat that for hours till you're exhausted and in agony you suffocate. But then on this day you add to that uh, the mocking that he endures. You you hear what they're shouting from verse 35 onwards. They're, They're saying to him, I thought you were the king who'd come to save others. And they knew Jesus had claimed to be God, but now they've got him. And it is brutal Part of you thinks at times, don't you? Just as you, as you see a scene like this that's so horrible, you, you see it on the news, stuff that goes on that's terrible in the world, and you, you see it here and you think, surely some comfort will be shown. You can't look at this and, and surely there's someone who will show some comfort, but there's none shown here except by him. One of the criminals, he turns to Jesus. 
And he must have known some of Jesus' claims because he uses kingdom language in verse 42. He knows Jesus must have claimed to be God's son, the king. And he, he says to him, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and there's no pretense from him that he, he's a good guy, he just humbly asked Jesus for help, and then Jesus, and, and see if you can picture this, if, if you can, can you, you picture this, because I, I guess in a sense, before he speaks, he will have probably had to force himself up on the nails to, to gasp an extra breath. And then with all the shouting going on around him, he speaks just to this man who's made the request. And he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, those words of comfort alone, they're they're enough to, to turn the world upside down. Can you imagine living in a world... Can you imagine if you, you lived in a world where someone's concerned about comforting others like this despite their own discomfort? Can you imagine living in a world where that would be the norm, but then you realize that, well, can you imagine living in a world where leaders acted like this? But then you realize the wonder of Good Friday, the reality of what this is, that the, the one who speaks these words to a man by his own admission is getting what he deserves. It's God who speaks like this. And you understand Good Friday gives an opportunity to listen in on how God would speak to people at their most lost. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you wonder about some of the own pain in your own life. Some of the things you're anguished over. Some of the things when you're left on your own, it just fills up your thinking. And you might even think, look, I know I'm getting what I deserve. I've inflicted this on myself and others around me. I've done it. The pain I'm experiencing, I deserve it. So no, no, I can't imagine there's anyone who would speak to me in this kind of way. And then Good Friday turns your world upside down because it says not only is there someone like that, But that someone is the God you meet in Jesus. Good Friday says, from the cross, it is your comfort, friends. It's your comfort, not his own, that he's thinking about. Is that not something? It's quite a story, isn't it, as you read it and think about it like this. Actually, I don't know if you've noticed, we love stories like this across the board, the hero who, who lays down their life for the people we love. You, you see it everywhere, don't you? Harry Potter, the, the boy who lived come to die. Natasha Romanov in the Avengers films who, who gives her life for others. Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan. Maximus at the end of the Gladiator film, if you've seen that. The, the hero who, who lays down his life for the ones they love. Why, why do we love those stories? Why do, with, with kind of box office results, do, do these kind of stories get our verdict of approval? I think it's because deep down we know that this is real love. It, whatever context it comes in, this is real love that turns the world upside down. And Good Friday says to you, you're not wrong. God in Jesus stepped into the world to give his life for the people he loves. Good Friday says to you that the story's true and the love is real 
We want it. We want something like this. And that's why those stories get our verdict of approval. But even here at the end, you discover Good Friday turns those things upside down because Jesus is thinking not so much about our approval, our verdict. Jesus is thinking about God's verdict, not ours. Luke spotlights for us. He doesn't tell us everything, but he spotlights some of the things that, that Jesus says. And you see it there. If you've got it there, Bible's open in front of you. Verse 34, he, he tells us this that Jesus says from the cross. He, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The interesting words. What, what, what does he mean by that? They don't know what they're doing. There's some things we, we get wrong because we, we literally just don't know. So I might say, look, I, I ate that Easter egg. Sorry, I didn't know it was for the children. Honestly, I didn't know. Genuinely didn't know it was for them. And there's some things we, we get wrong because we just don't know. That's not the kind of not knowing Jesus means. It's not so much lack of knowledge. It's more, it's more like this. It's a, it's a willful misjudging of who God is. It's, I'll decide for myself that I know the way to live and treat God, and it turns out we don't. And if you keep that in mind, you understand what Jesus is praying for. He's, he's praying for forgiveness for those who live thinking they know better than God. That's, well, that's you, and that's me. And if you keep that in mind, you begin to get this prayer. I, I don't know about you, uh, those of you who are parents, you may probably chime in on this a little bit. You can see if it resonates. And, and those who, who are not parents, see if you can still understand it. But I can't imagine the thought of seeing someone attack and harm one of my children. Just even the thought of it, the anger I'd feel and the speed with which I'd want to move towards them and do something about it. And so if you have that in mind, do you, do you not read this and think? It's as if the Son, Jesus the Son, is saying from the cross, as he suffers this way, he's saying, Father, remember. Remember, this was the plan we had for people lost in sin. They have no hope in the world. They're heading towards an eternity in hell. And we knew the only way we could save them would be if I came and suffered and died for them. And I'm doing that now, Father. I'm doing what we planned. So would you now open the promised way of forgiveness? Would you do it, please? And then he's looking for the Father's verdict. And you might not have spotted it, but it, but it comes there in verses 44 and 45, that the Father's verdict on his sacrifice. It's as if the Father steps in and rather than taking hold of the people who have attacked and brutalized his son, at his son's request, instead, he takes hold of creation and of the temple in Jerusalem and the sky becomes dark, and the curtain on that temple is torn in two. In the Old Testament, the, the prophet Amos, he, he predicted a day when, when God would judge the world, and he, he described it like this. He said God would mark that day by, well, he said it this, he would darken the earth in broad daylight. 
That's how you would know that day is coming. And the temple itself, it, it was, if you like, it was, a, it was a picture in the middle of Jerusalem that God gave to his people, a, a picture of, of like God's home, a, a picture of the place where the good life is found. And there was a huge curtain at one of the entrance points, and it was, it was in effect like a locked door saying, because of sin, you can't ever come in here. And you see what this is saying. Darkness falls in the land. Judgment has fallen, but it has fallen on God's Son at the cross. And because he has taken your punishment, the doorway back to God, it's been torn open again. Uh, there's an old hymn uh, that has uh, a verse with these lines in it. You know the way some old hymns, they, they sound a bit cheesy, but I was thinking about it in this past week. It has this line in it. Speaking about the cross, speaking about Jesus, it says this, I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. And I heard someone say, and I don't think it's disrespectful, that with those last two lines of that, can you imagine the father saying them about his son? I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now, the one who was from all eternity loved by his Father. Can you imagine the Father looking on the compassion of his Son, and as he darkens the sky and tears the curtain, he is saying to his Son, the thing we planned and the thing you've asked for, I've given my verdict, and the ones we love can be saved and responding with a final act of trust. Jesus calls out, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. And the history of the world was turned upside down. Or if you like, began to be turned the right way up again. What do we do with this? How do we respond in Good Friday? Sometimes it is good to just sit in silence. And we'll do that in a moment. But let me mention just a few other brief things before we do that. Perhaps you're here. You might be here for the first time or you've been coming for some time and you're begin to, beginning to think life is just sort of bleak. There, there's no real hope or point. And there's no one who cares whether I'm, I'm here or not. And maybe you feel you're in one of those really low points in life. Well, hear this on Good Friday. Jesus Christ says, He has come for you. 
He's gone to the cross for you. He does care. And he loves you. Or perhaps you're one of the people who's been coming along to Christ Church this year and you, you've been finding out about this Jesus and you do feel, you, you've started to feel he is, he has been turning your world, beginning to turn it kind of the, the right way round. But you know you're not quite there yet and you're holding back. And so today you hear again what he's saying, we're people in danger, but he has gone to the cross for you. Don't delay like the criminal beside him, he says, come with no need for pretense. Just ask for the forgiveness you need. Take him as your good God and Savior. And if you want to think more, look, there's, if you've not read much, use a little copy of one of the accounts of Jesus' life. If you would like one, come and ask me at the end. I'd love to pass that on to you. But maybe you're, you're here and you've just been a Christian for some time and you think you know this. This is just a gentle reminder then. We need this just as much. There is so much in life that twists and turns things. Let Good Friday show you Jesus and let him turn your view on life the right way up. We're going to have a moment for some quiet reflection. I'm going to start that with a short prayer. Then we'll have a couple of minutes for, for our own quiet prayer and reflection. Anything that you would like to say to God. And then after that, Matt and the musicians will come back up. And as the music begins, we'll stand and join in with our final songs of praise. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Son of the Father, and you have loved us. As we gather before you, conscious that we are undeserving and we're lost in sin, cause us to see in the injustice of your mockings and the suffering of your cross and the cries to your Father, the compassion of your heart towards us. Help us to ponder your goodness cry to you as our Savior, and worship you in your glory. And along with forgiveness, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit, that he might teach us to love you as you have loved us. Amen.